0: Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And uh, we have a great episode for you guys today. This is Um, really cool. This is really cool. Now we're doing the beginning of the podcast. We've already done the interview with BBS Motorsport and it was phenomenal. I'm such a fanboy. You know, (laughs) I always have been over all of the years and uh, it was really, really
1: great to talk to those guys. Yeah, it's Um, really cool to hear about kind of their history and what the company really stands for and how they innovate.
0: Right, right. And have been for years. For years, for years. Um, Before we get into that, I do want to touch on one thing okay. today is d-day it which is. is you know the anniv- 75th anniversary of okay. when 75 um, years yeah they they invaded the beaches of normandy correct and um i know this is a car podcast but i did want to touch base on something that i was just thinking about uh, driving on the way over here okay because you know you have everybody kind of talking about you know what it was like to be there i've been listening to a lot of interviews and stuff like that and one thing that i thought was important was you, you keep you always hear especially with memorial day but with this too i mean we there was i think nine or ten thousand people lost their lives there i'm not that might not be a right number but a lot of americans died yeah uh, a lot of australians died Can, canadians englishmen died and everybody's like oh it's you know it's amazing that they give their lives blah 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 but i just want to make sure that i get the point across that um one thing that we should all do when we're thinking about D-Day, Memorial Day, all of these things is to try and strive to live up to that notion, try to live up to and be something worth being sacrificed for.
1: Right. Basically you know what I mean? paying homage to those that did sacrifice It's their not lives. even that. It's, it's making your life and being a good enough
0: person to be worthy of having someone else die for you. Right. Which is impossible, but you should live up to that every single day. So I just wanted to mention that on the 75th anniversary of Normandy, it's a good perspective, and, uh, and yeah. So that's that's all we have on that. So also, big news. Yes, we have the Overcrest Rally 2019. Yes, is officially launched, and if you're listening to this podcast on Friday morning, you can head over to overcrest.com. Oh, I'm sorry, overcrestproductions.com/slash rally 2019 i <laughs>
1: don't know why we said that together <laughs> that was awesome.
0: and you can apply to be in the rally now this is an application only thing right so uh you apply and if your car is not a total jalopy you'll get in so this yes. is just kind of a little bit of a barrier to entry for people you know just try and keep the riffraff out a little bit exactly so there's an application process it's gonna be 40 bucks you'll get a t-shirt you'll get a sticker you'll get rally notes you'll probably get a, a poster that's made out of the rally notes um it'll be a great time it's october 5th
1: yeah so it's going to be this fall when it's just going to be beautiful around here yep um if you didn't remember that website which we won't repeat again just go to our instagram or our facebook and, and we'll share it there as yeah well, it'll be all over or the, place. In the show notes here. so
0: we're going to announce all the people that got accepted which is pretty much everybody that's going to apply <laughs> and that'll be september 1st so and then you'll get an email and you can go and buy your ticket so to come can on we call rally.
1: this the first
0: annual the
1: first annual
0: Overcrest, Overcrest Rally. Overcrest Rally. So I'm I'm excited about that. So before we get into BBS, I just want to also remind everybody to go over to patreon.com/overcrest. If you want to support the show, it's very easy. It's okay. it's 5 bucks, you know, that's kind of the entry level one. You can download the Patreon app. You get all the episodes early. So you can listen to the podcast on the Patreon app. Right. which is so available you go for to
1: the patreon app and that's where you get the exclusive you content. get the exclusive
0: content there and it's not just the, the podcast and do wallpapers and you know different right. things for your phone your computer stuff like that but you also get all the episodes early and the exclusive content
1: so um jake do you know what bbs stands for so i know it's a german company and i don't <laughs> <All> right <laughs> i'm assuming like bavarian no bakken nope. Sch- All of that
0: that is wrong. What is it? BBS stands for Baumgartner Brand schlock Oh man. I should have you do this because you're way better you sound uh, way cooler when you butcher butcher names. Schlittoch and Heinrich Baumgartner
1: and Klaus Brand. So that's Baumgartner Brand Schlittoch, Heinrich Baumgartner und Klaus Brand. Right. So
0: schlittak is this is in southwestern germany it's kind of southwest of stuttgart so it's a region it's a region so it's the two guys' names and then the the region where they were founded um we uh we have basically we have craig and eric from bbs motorsport coming on the podcast today to talk about all kinds of just badass stuff just building cars for michael schumacher working with ferrari to build wheels um how wheels are made casting forging um, the history of the company. I didn't know company. where they started. I found that fascinating. Yeah, it's it's really really great. And, and BBS is it's such a great company. Their wheels are timeless. It's like you know you see you see women out walking around. And they it's constantly changing styles, right? Sure, so, like you you know, know
1: whatever fashion yeah, is. Or
0: twenty five years ago, they were all wearing sweatshirts that didn't fit, and they had bangs, and <laughs> and they looked whatever. But and then now it's tattoos and jeans that come up halfway up their waist. But there is like the classic girl with. Just a good looking girl, blonde, blue eyes. Just, you know, when the you girl next door. The girl next door. That is BBS. High quality, girl next door wheels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't I like this that is analogy. A, this I work, don't like all. that analogy. But your point is, high they're quality,
0: High performance girl. No. No, no, that analogy is not working. Work. What it is she work.
1: performing? Why is she high performance? Chris? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> let's throw that out the window. Um, we'll be right back with BBS. And I really, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Jake's. I was going to say before we get to that, though, we should mention our sponsor. I'm sure you guys know by now, Renline has partnered with us to give us a great discount for you, our listeners. As with all their products, they're extremely high quality and beautifully machined. After you hear about BBS and their manufacturing process, head over to Renline, look at some really cool machined, manufactured pieces. There as well. They've been in business for the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of Porsche and European car enthusiasts alike. As I mentioned before, though, what really sets these guys apart—they aren't just another distributor. All their products designed, engineered in-house, right there in Vermont, in the good old U.S. of A. So do yourself a favor. And head over to Renline.com and use code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order, along with free shipping on orders over $250. So I ordered two Renline things. Yes, you did. I, I feel two. like this requires an announcement. <laughs> yes. So they have hood shocks that are pretty cool. Yeah, like they have the- mechanical hood struts. Because on these early every Porsche single, cars, they all suck. They all every suck. single, they're all they're all pneumatic, hydraulic, they Struts. don't work. They don't work. Brand new. They don't work. They're broken <laughs> out of the box. They don't Mine work. Mine are working pretty good so far if, no, after like eight months. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: we'll see. I've replaced them like three times. So I'm getting some of those and then I'm getting this cool phone holder that goes around the
1: clock. Yeah. I didn't even mention I got one of these as well a few months ago. It's like my favorite thing from theirs because it goes around the, the clock, the dash and It's a little magnetic thing. You put yep.
0: the little metal piece in the back of your phone case and it goes... And it pops right on there. And it's perfect alignment with your steering wheel. I love it.
1: All right. So check those guys out.
0: So we'll be right back with BBS. Uh, It's a great interview. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, yeah. Hey, guys, thanks for calling into the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, spend your evening with us.
2: You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah. So,
0: Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at BBS, just so we can get a feel of uh, what both of you guys do over there.
3: Well, what I do is primarily uh, involved just in the motorsports side of the business, um, whether it's um, coming up with new parts combinations or working with customers on custom builds and defining uh, the parts combinations for the customer, working with the factory on making any custom parts that are required um, and providing all the information to them. Uh, getting the drawings back, approving the drawings, creating them into part numbers. So do you work with Uh, some of the designers
0: for the wheels? You kind of go back and forth with them on what's possible and what's not possible with kind of the engineering side of things too?
3: Well, I I do, but the engineering proper is done in Germany. Uh, I don't do any proper official engineering. It's more, um, more, what we'd say, uh, conceptual or dimensional fitments and things of that nature. Okay. And then uh, the the rest of it is uh, there's only two of us in that department. There's myself and my colleague, Zach, and we do everything, whether it's, uh, you know, conferring with the customer, uh, figuring out, solving their, their problems, coming up with the parts combinations, building the wheels, doing the sales orders, everything. Everything is done from the person that you speak with. So if there's ever a problem, I did it or Zach did it. Sure. Um, sure. What are you you working on right,
0: right now? What is, what is something that you're working on right now? That's pretty cool. Or recently.
3: Well, uh, I mean, we do a lot of work with Pratt Miller. Um, You know, that's probably one of our largest customers.
0: What's that one? What is that? What do they do?
3: That's the, uh, the Corvette, Corvette racing. Okay. We work with them, and the, the business has changed somewhat with the advent of homologation in professional racing, whereby in the old older days, um, when we were servicing virtually any team, and the teams had the choice of what product they were going to put on the car, and we had a large amounts, pretty much all of them in Grand Am and, and sports car racing, things like that, you know, you'd be dealing with a team and you, you'd get an order for eight sets of wheels. Uh, so you'd have larger orders, less customers. Now that components are homologated on race cars, what that means is they, they try to standardize racing classes around the globe to get car counts up and to attract manufacturers. So any manufacturer can, can sell a GT3 spec car or a GT4 spec car. And one of the things I had to do to get the manufacturers uh, in price, I suppose, would be to put them in charge of servicing all of the parts for those cars. And to keep the cars equal, when the, when, when the parts uh, list for each car is made, it's kind of set in stone. So if you buy an Audi or you buy a Porsche or you buy a BMW to go to race it, you have to run the components that were uh, that were delivered on that car. You can't just go willy-nilly and change to a different wheel or different anything. So with the advent of that, a lot of the product, even though there's a lot of DBS products on a lot of those cars, they're not serviced generally through us in the States. A lot of them are done directly from the factory in Germany. So as a result of that, and you can't really change things, our business model had to change a little bit more towards each each bill is for a different customer. It's not one customer ordering eight sets of wheels anymore. It's One guy needing one set of wheels with a different set of circumstances or a different problem to solve. So our workload has has increased to satisfy all of that demand. So sure. I, I work with a lot of different people all the time instead of just,
2: you know, the same eight guys. You
3: know, 15, 15.
0: So what about you, Craig? What's your, what's your history with BBS? Where did it start for you?
2: So I started in 1980 at doing, I was hired to do racing service. So that was my, my first stint was there in, in, just in, probably in motorsports, you know, learned a lot about the other side of the business, but focused primarily on racing. And that's, that's really how we grew our motorsports business in North America because, we were at the racetrack you know 20 20 plus weekends a year we were at the races whether that was the trans am can am imsa race uh, whatever it might be we were there and so you you end up because if we can offer customers a better option than what they were using or if they're using a product that maybe is not holding up well under the type of environment that they're racing in we can move them into a better product and so we were there, they trusted us, they knew we, you know, that's what we do. We're, we're a racing company, we're a performance company. And so we gained a lot of really great customers during those years and still have them today. I mean, we're very fortunate to work in a, you know, in a great industry and with a great brand and we have a lot of really great customers. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I did that for a number of years until about 92 and then I moved into more of a technical position in the company, just overseeing aftermarket, still helping out in the motorsport side, but on the road wheel side of things. And then, then to nowadays, since the last five five years or so, I've I I run the U.S. operation, so I'm president of the U.S. facility here.
0: So, when you were doing the race service stuff back in the day, what was like a what was a typical day for you like? at a can-am race for example what, what was that what was that like back then
2: well i mean back then in the beginning everything was a three-piece wheel so you know you you ended up having a, a service truck with a lot of spare parts um and then you know racing is sometimes a contact sport so there would be guys damaging things and you know, we would do an inspection of parts at the track, replace bad components, or com- or replace complete wheels, whatever they needed, uh, and make sure that everything was in good shape for racing. So, you know, Can Am races was actually just a lot of fun because it wasn't it wasn't tremendously service oriented. When you go to events like Daytona 24 Hour or Sebring, which Eric can contest to, because. You know, he was doing those also long before there were monoblock wheels. Um, you know, those, those events you are working. I mean, there is, you get to the track and you are working until dark or then some, and then you're back again in the morning and everybody's coming. Where's my product? Where's this? Where's that? You know, especially at the beginning of a season when, when people are, or maybe not sure a month earlier, if they had uh, a budget to go racing that for that event or not. Um, it was it was some interesting times, but but it was a lot of fun, and you know we were fortunate to have you know good support from the factory and a lot of product here to service our customers, and um, but it was a lot of work. You know, nowadays going to a twenty four hour race is is a very uh, pleasant weekend. Actually, <laughs> you know, you check in with the teams. You, you know, we're also there for technical advice, technical service. So if You check it with the tire companies if there's a there's some issue or a problem or there's something that's been damaged and they're not sure if it's good to go or not. You know, we make that judgment call. We don't just let that just happen automatically. Well, it sounds like back in the day
0: you'd have, uh, for example, someone would back their 935 into a wall and they'd have this big 19 inch three piece wheel on it or whatever with a turbo fan and you're putting, they bend the lip. Are you putting, you're rebuilding that wheel on the spot at that time?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it's a 24 hour race, especially back, you know, back in the, in the earlier days, you know, a lot of these teams didn't have a, you know, they didn't have 10 sets of wheels or something. So if they lost a single wheel, they were down a whole set. So if they have to have something mounted for reins, just in case, and they only have a few sets of drives and they lose one wheel or down a full set. So we, we would have wheels come off the track, get to the tire company the gear back in those days, um, be dismounted. It would still be hot by the time it got to our truck to be wow. fixed and we would check it out. Now, if it was, if the center wasn't bent, you could put a new outer, new bolts, gasket, whatever it needed, you know, spin it back up, make sure everything is good to go, send it back. We would drop it off at Goodyear so a tire could be fitted. So all the team has to do is just pick it back up and they're good to go. So how long?
0: Go ahead. Sorry.
3: I'm sorry. One of the things I wanted to just interject here is, um, and and Craig has a lot of stories of of this, but it goes to the uh, heart of the company is that um, all of the evolution of, the BBS product really came from the reality of what it was, in, what it wasn't required to do. And Craig has a lot of stories about working with the factory back and forth back in the old Insta days and in the GTP days that the, the arrow download of uh, downforce was so high. that Sometimes they didn't want to believe him. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, they, you have these cars with just huge wings and big, big, um, you know, tunnels and everything. And there was a lot of back and forth development to stay ahead of that, to keep everybody safe and make a wheel that functions. And, and all of those things. How did the aerodynamics affect, affect the, wheel? the
0: wheel? How are the aerodynamics? Well, what's what's happening there?
2: Just the sheer, the sheer load. So, you know, and another factor that Europe, Europe versus the U.S. is, you know, they have racetracks that are like tabletop smooth. And we have some race tracks like Sebring, which is kind of like a rally course. So <laughs> it's you know when you when you have a car at Sebring that's you know in the, in a corner and say the top of third gear or something, and the car's leaving the ground a couple of times in the corner, wow. you know the, the peak the peak wheel loads are pretty intense. And so it's, it's brutal on stuff. So we, we could find weaknesses in the States on things that they never saw in Europe. So that, you know, the, of course we're dealing with, you know, German engineers. So, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with a few of those along the way (laughs) and, um, they are, they're, it could be an interesting group. So, so they, they coined the phrase the thick American air. So that our heavy American air was causing all this extra downforce and (laughs) causing our problems, you know, back at the time. But, but it, it, in the end, you know, we made the product better because we would find a weakness in something um, that was not happening in Europe. And then we were sometimes upgrading the thickness of material or, at one point with some of the most aggressive GTP stuff, we, they actually shot peened the rim sections and stuff to, to give them additional life strength. Mm-hmm.
0: So these wheels basically when, if anybody doesn't know how they're, they're assembled, tell me if I'm wrong here, you have the outer lip and then you have a gasket. Right. Or I guess it depends on how the face is mounted. But you actually a lot of guys like if you rebuild the BBS RS, which is the, another three piece wheel or a BBS RM, you just put gasket on it. You put silicone on it, clean everything up, right. put it together, bolt it together, and then it should seal. And then you put silicone bead around on the inside. But with a motorsport wheel, you can't do that because, like you said, you guys are changing wheels now. You're rebuilding the wheel now. So you guys actually had like a gasket that you would put in there. Right.
3: Correct. Yeah, there's a gasket in there, and it serves that function. But it also serves some other functions. Um, if you were, let's say, to have an excess amount of silicone around that, that joint area, and you would develop a crack in the wheel in that area, the silicone may continue to seal it mm. uh, until it becomes, you know, just a terrible, terrible situation. Um, so that, so it's in, in a way. For a racing environment, the wheels are designed. If you were going to make a wheel for a racing environment that you're running the car on your own dime, this is how you do it. Um, it's how it's evolved over the years. Uh, it has a gasket for safety as well as serviceability, um, and then everything else about it that's evolved over the time of uh, you know to go along with the developments. Um, tire developments. You know, we have a lot of stuff out there that is still very, very old on some vintage cars. People are still using it, but you have to keep in mind, um, you know, the tire development, the loadings are going up. And although it still performs, you know, there may be a safety margin issue where maybe a wheel comes in and we can upgrade in one area or another area to, to stay ahead of that curve. Things that people don't normally think about, but it's very important because if you have a wheel issue at 150 miles an hour, the bad things happen.
0: Yeah. So, that's not good. That's, well, not, that's not good at all. And well, a lot well, of these older <laughs> wheels are magnesium too, right? The centers well, and that, that degrades.
3: Yeah, it, yeah, it does. It does. Um, you know, years ago, that's what they were. They were cast magnesium, um, you know, and then they've evolved into, uh, aluminum, those aluminum pieces forged and those aluminum pieces. And, um, you know, people like them. They a lot of people. You know, a lot of people buy these wheels, and they don't want to use them strictly on, on the racetrack. And that's where they're intended to be. Um, and they are a beautiful wheel, but it's because of the function, the, the suitability of the function is what gives them the beauty. And um, you know, now there's no surface on it that's not touched with a machine. It's not perfectly smooth. It's not doesn't have a purpose to it. If you look at the back milling of the spokes, um, they'll be different. In the area where there might be adjacent to a lug bore, where they're not, I mean, they don't really miss a trick. Everything is is uh, is the way it needs to be. I'm totally guilty of
0: totally guilty of. (laughs) I've run I've run a set of BBS E30s on a on a rabbit Volkswagen <laughs> rabbit and then i had a set, right. of, set of e52s that i that i rebuilt for a for a porsche and that that was yeah, actually that,
2: that was an interesting that was an interesting center that
0: e52 yeah that thing is crazy I, it almost looks like it belongs on a roman chariot like you could run into <laughs> another car and you could tear up the the other car because i guess everybody now they oh. run every, for fashion now everybody runs like a skinny lip and then they let the face protrude way beyond way beyond right. the, the deal but. Which,
2: which it used to not be fashionable to do that. And now it is now, the more right. they have out there, the better off they think it is. Right. Right. So, <laughs> but, but the, so the original, e, or some of the original E 52 looking stuff was actually made for the development and Porsche was developing the 928. Porsche it was a really high offset wheel. And so BDS made a two piece wheel that used the E 52 style center. And then the outer lip was actually also cast magnesium part of the wheel center and then an inner rim bolted to that. Oh, wow, wow. And, and that was a, cause we, we've done a lot of development. I mean, there's a lot of spy photos of cars that have our wheels on them because uh-huh. we, we do so many development wheels, especially back in the early days where a lot of the prototype stuff, you know, they're trying to figure out what what size, what offset, what you know, width and stuff they needed to run, what tire setups and all of this they can run three piece wheels and it's pretty easy to make changes.
0: Right. And it obviously doesn't end up that way down the road, but at the time it works.
2: But they prove it out that way. Right. And then they can, then they can have the, you know, the OE stuff built to whatever the desired spec is.
0: So I want to rewind back a little bit. I want to kind of go back into the early seventies and when BBS was basically making, you know, plastic body parts and stuff like that. But in 1972, they came out with their first three piece wheel. What, do you know what kind of precipitated that? Why they started getting into making wheels at all?
2: Well, so the the whole company came about because the founders of the company were racers, right? And they're looking for performance advantages. So to them, weight reduction was the the primary area to focus. And they, they were building, I know I, I've read a lot of things where they say plastic body parts. Well, they were, they were laying up fiberglass, so fiberglass, fenders, hoods, doors, whatever they could make to take weight out of the car is what they were doing. And so these are two, you know, basically small sedan, late 60s. And these guys are, they want to go racing, but they don't have a lot of money, which is not an uncommon racing story, right? right. So they uh, they didn't have money for engine development, but they, but they figured out they could do this fiberglass stuff. And they started having some success with reducing weight. Cause that's free horsepower. And then, then after they had that success with the body panels, they started looking at these wheels. Well, they were racing on 13 inch steel wheels back mm. at that time. Right. And so and I'm sure that the rule books were not quite as extensive as they are today. So maybe there was a lot of room as far as wheels went for them to make changes. What were they driving? So they, Um, I, I don't, I'm sure it's some kind of like a small BMW sedan or something. I mean, it was just a a small thing, but it had 13 inch steel wheels on it. So going to a, a wider wheel, which was also lighter, um, you know, allowed the tire to work better and it also allowed the brakes to cool better, but it also, because it was well, like you run E thirties on your car. So, you know, they're like the non drop center wheels. You run thirteens or 15.
0: They were 13s. No wait. Okay, so non- yeah, they were 13s, maybe 15. So,
2: non- <laughs> so you've, so you've done the wheel assembly thing. Yep. Right. Around the tire. Yep. And that's how they originally made these things. And it was very crude. I mean, the early stuff was very crude, no safety humps, no nothing. I mean, it was, um, that the wheel centers, they would cast these wheel centers and there wasn't the FEA and all this stuff back then, you know, they would, they would make them pretty thin. And then if they started to crack, they would make the next batch a little bit thicker, you <laughs> know? So that's, that's how they went about this. Back that's a
0: dangerous done. way to go, man.
2: <laughs> well, but it's, but it's just them, right? It's just them doing this thing. Right. Know? Right. And uh, one thing nice about the design of the wheel is that if our wheels—it's not like good one lap and then the next lap all of a sudden it's a catastrophic failure. Right. You know, a wheel will develop a crack, and then usually gives you a chance to to catch that thing. So even a, in a higher stress racing environment, if somebody's keeping an eye on their stuff, they can they can catch things if there's a problem. If something's getting old, too old, or something's been damaged, it it, it gives you a warning before it says I'm done. Right, but, sure. uh, but, but these guys, you know, they ended up finding uh, additional speed and performance by going to wider wheels that were lighter in weight. Then they also could grab put brakes from a bigger chassis onto their chassis because they had the room inside the wheel to do that with no drop center. So that's how they really got the attention of BMW and and started the ball really rolling. So
0: everybody at that point in terms of wheels was playing catch up. Who was the BBS's competitor in the seventies? Who was kind of like, Oh man, that's a great idea. We're going to do that too. Like Compomotive, or who's, who's who's trying to keep up?
2: Yeah, there's a, there were a few, you know, several companies in Europe and then some companies out of Italy. Um, you know, Compomotive, there's you know, one piece magnesium stuff. There were some companies in England doing some weird things, but, uh, in the end, you know, BBS just focused on what they could do, and then they started actually getting into, you know, full-on engineering level stuff, and um, it's it kind of just blossomed from there. Sure. But, um, and, and we we were very fortunate. You know, we had some really good engineers on board, people that, well, I've been going through some old drawings. We still have a lot of old drawings, like even from the late '70s. I have some old paper wheel drawings which are pretty cool pieces actually. Wow. And and um some of the stuff from the early eighties, I look at the signatures for who was who was signing who was designing this stuff. And one of the guys is still there in the engineering department in motorsports today. Wow. That's cool. Um, which which is yeah, which is really kind of kind of cool to see that kind of thing. But but we have we're fortunate to have some really, really good people, engineering wise, uh production wise that that really care about what's going on there. And so they made the brand just, you know, as good as it could be. They just kept improving and, and re-engineering right. and looking at things and looking at technologies and and ultimately the, the, the variation in technologies that we were looking at is what allowed us to really take it to the next level.
3: So over the years and, and you had, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and interestingly, and, and Craig could, could elaborate a little more on this, you know, one of the first engineers <clears throat> that joined BBS actually came from BMW Motorsport that was involved in the CSL program and a bunch of other things. So, like you said, we, we were very fortunate to get very good people and still have them today. I just got a drawing today from the gentleman he's talking about, Hansi, <laughs> who's still there. And uh, it's a very small group. But, you know, that's the thing. We only have one level of product, whether you're, uh, you know, a pro team, whether you're Pratt Miller or whether you're, you know, Joe off the street, there's only one level of product. We don't have two. Mm. Um, now, you know, sometimes you have to wait a little bit to get your stuff because they need a rush order for formula one or for Porsche, but eventually we always get it. We get it just in the nick of time usually. And, uh, it's one level of product. Uh, I've had situations where uh, we went to a new wheel for IMSA back in 2014, and literally, like, every BP team, you know, is on our wheel. And, (laughs) you know, they're loading their trucks and driving to the track, and they still don't have wheels. (laughs) And we show up at the track, and, you know, Wednesday, we're handing out all their new wheels. And there's never an issue of it doesn't fit, it doesn't work, you know, here you go. They get out of the box. They put on the car. Boom, done. Right. Uh, so that's what you get. It's a little nail at times, but it's because we only have one level. There's the same stuff. So um, you know, there's good and bad in that, I suppose. But uh, well, you anyway, always think, you know, think of all the companies
0: fun. have like good, better, best. Like that's always the common thing that you're supposed to have. But it's really nice if you only have to make the best to begin with. Right. There's no consumer grade. Right. It's all
1: motorsport grade.
3: Right, it's all all the same. Now, we do have different levels, let's say, of wheels on the roadside. You know, we have a cast product. We have a cast flow form product. We have a forged product. We have multi-piece products. We have magnesium products. We have OE-level magnesium products. But again, you know, it's just as far as in the motorsport department, uh, you know, we don't have the time or energy to make more than one level of product. Right. (laughs) One level of product. So over well, the years not- you guys
0: have had a lot of modular designs obviously. So you have all the, you know, E52, E50, E88, all that stuff. And those are all modular so you can make them work for a bunch of different cars. But is there some instances where a manufacturer or a race teams like, "Hey, I need this and it comes down to completely custom engineering for that race application?"
3: Oh yeah, all the time. Pretty pretty much Pretty much everything that we're doing is sort of in that line, but you know, generally speaking, if you're dealing with a monoblock wheel, yes, uh, it, it is. It's not. It's not one forging that's that's put in a CNC machine and, and milled to fit. You know, carved out and, and it fits. Each one is developed for the application. Getting back to aero loads, suspension geometries, brake room requirements, uh, the environment that it's going to be in. So BBS may use one of many different forgings. They may what we call bend the forging. Uh, different materials. What is that? What is that? I've never heard of that before. Well, in other words, in other words, if you look at a typical wheel that you know you could buy out there, uh, these monoblock wheels, they're typically always with the spoke at the very most out- outer edge, and they're milled out. And the reason for that is that the normal forging that's available to people that you can buy from a forging company and then you mill it out. BBS doesn't do that. BBS forges the wheel. It's made over a die. It's a different level of product. The the upside to that is it's a wonderful product. It has the required stiffness and durability in addition to lightweight or style, let's say. Um, And and, uh, the downside to that is we just, aren't going to be able to make you one set in two weeks. Um, you know, we, we have to have a little time to develop it. So this, this small group of engineering that may be working on a 4 India F1 wheel or a 919 Porsche wheel or an OE Porsche wheel, it's the same guy that's going to develop your, you know, model block for your track day car. But what we need to do is to justify that level of development uh, normally, I have to order several sets of them, so many times we will, in order to satisfy a customer, a lot of times we will purchase those extra sets, whether they be in spares or it's an application that we determine we could sell to other people, in order to get that person that product, but the level of product is quite different than just milling out a wheel um, and saying, you know, it looks like this and it weighs this, but you have to keep in mind stiffness and durability and what's going on when when you use it. So they have forgings where they have a normal forging that they can forge and mill out, or they might take that forging what they call bend it, where they're going to get some concavity in the spoke and get the different grain flow in the spoke. And then they have other forgings that are what we call double spun, where you the spoke will probably kind of be in the middle of the wheel, and you spin both sides. Uh, and then from there, we've done two-piece and all kinds of other things. So it's wow. quite an involved process. And, you know, the, the downside is I can't make you one set of what you want in <laughs> two weeks, but the good side is you're not going to have to replace it in two weeks. Right. So, know? I yeah.
1: ordered a set of uh, CHRs last year from you guys. Is that using that Ben Forge process then that you're talking about?
3: No, that's a cast flow-formed wheel. So that's that would flow be casting okay. but then the barrel is flow-formed, correct. But gotcha. it still, it was, I think, one of the, I think Craig can attest to this, I think it was the first cast Wheel that's actually, it actually is back milled though, which is quite right. a feat because in the casting, it has to be very accurate in order to be back milled. Sure. So so, there's so a lot of things that are kind of first, and you just don't kind uh, of make a big deal out of it.
0: Right, right. So, speaking of big deals, um, you guys have probably <laughs> built some wheels for some pretty famous cars by now. What is uh, What are some of your favorite cars that you've built a set of wheels for? Uh,
3: well, we actually, believe it or not, I actually stock a lot of components for Porsche 962, 935. Uh, I didn't even think there was that many of those 962s out there, but we stock at any given time five sets of wheel centers on the shelf for those cars and do a lot of that stuff. But, I mean, cars that we do, uh, you know, we did the Delta Wing program. That was a very interesting program, uh, very unique. Um, We do, um, you know, we've done indie stuff. Uh, some F1 stuff. Um, I have a little table right behind my main desk. It has one of pair of Kello's wheels and tires on it. We have more Schumacher's wheels there. Um, well, he won the just, championship I mean, pretty,
0: running BBS wheels, right?
3: Yeah, Frank so well, could tell you something pretty interesting about that too. That that's a pretty interesting story with Ferrari and how it uh, impacted our our uh, product development. I'll so turn it over.
2: So, you know, BBS has always been focused on technology, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, if you, if you have a cast piston and you go to a forge piston, you know, you have more opportunities for more horsepower. And so back in the earlier days, you know, we were using cast magnesium for the steel centers and there were companies like for Indy cars, everything was a cast magnesium wheel for Indy cars or even formula one back in those days was cast magnesium. Hmm. So, DDS in 1983 with the with the RS wheel, the three-piece RS street wheel. Sure. We partnered up with a company in Japan that did that had a fairly unique forging process, a dive forging process. And so that was done in aluminum. But this this relationship started in 1983, and they became a very strong technical partner with us. And so over this the next number of years of this relationship, they started to develop forged magnesium, and so BBS was the first company to bring forged magnesium into the automotive race world. So Ferrari was our first customer in Formula One, and then just after that, they went to Indianapolis and and started bringing forged magnesium wheels into Indy.
0: Wow! So I didn't even know you big. could forge magnesium. <laughs> I thought they were always cast. Oh,
2: Forge So we started Forge Magnesium in 1991. Hmm. And and the, the deal, if you can imagine a, a German group going to Italy <laughs> to try and talk to them about being the wheel supplier when they were using an Italian company as the current supplier.
0: <laughs> were they using Yellow so or something? Or what were they? What were they they,
2: they were using Speedlines back in those days. Okay. Oh. So Speedline was the manufacturer. So, so the Ferrari said, if you can reduce 10% of the weight, then we will make a change to BBS. So, you know, what's 10% of unsprung weight worth on an Indy, or a Formula One car,
3: right? right.
2: It's, it's significant, so uh, BBS accomplished this goal. They they were able to reduce the weight, but not only did they reduce the weight, the wheels also would last all season if they didn't hit something. So. Oh. They had a better life. And then over the next couple of years, they pulled another 10% of the weight out of the wheels. So st- still giving the stiffness, durability and everything that was required. So what are the, wider so are these game wheels
0: game. on these Formula One cars back then?
2: What are we talking about? Back for when I, I, think the rear was like 16 and a half inches.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. Th-
2: then they narrow. Then they narrowed the rule down, and then now they've gone back wider again. But,
0: no, um, but here's the thing: is you think about where that mounting point is on that wheel, on the center of that, where it mounts to the hub, that is a lot of of.
1: It's a, a total force when yeah. you
0: on the G forces that those things are pulling in a corner. It's pushing on that oh, hub, yeah. and right where it connects to that hub. That that takes a lot of strength.
2: Well, the, the the biggest thing they have to deal with is the heat from the brakes.
1: Oh, sure. So,
2: so the heat is really the biggest killer, and that's not that's not just for Formula One. That's a lot of things. You know, heat is a is an issue when it comes to uh, racing products.
0: And me and my so, car when my air conditioning doesn't work. <laughs>
2: well, that's yeah, a different right. heat issue,
0: there, yeah.
1: Chris. Yeah, that's a different. I mean, if,
2: if if they have a like a brake duct on the F one car that gets damaged or something. You know, you can have a car come in the pits. We've seen wheels where the you know heat rises off the brakes, and if the car's sitting there too long, um, the the wheel can actually grow in width.
1: Oh, no kidding!
2: Slightly, slightly. I mean, basically, the the material becomes so hot that it can actually move it's not a not a good situation yeah thermal expansion so back (laughs) in the day
0: um like you mentioned the the nine the 962 and uh obviously i think the 935 you said 935 yeah but also they had the 787b mazda stuff everybody everybody was running the turbo fans back in the day was that something
2: you guys developed or so yeah so i I started with the company in 1980 and there were there were all these actually yeah okay so there's all these these cooling cones that we had, we call them cooling cones back in those days. And they're all this, you know, fiberglass detailed stuff that aluminum spoke, you know, aluminum blades that are pop riveted on. And there's a lot of detail on these things. And I'm looking at that thinking that's just an awful lot of work and a lot of detail work that seems to me was like a bit overkill for what it was. And then, then I learned because I hadn't been with the company long, I learned that fiberglass was actually their first, you know, real uh, performance product technology, sure. not yep. wheels, that the fiberglass was really their expertise at the time. And so then it kind of made sense. But the problem with the fiberglass cooling cones is that for a 935 was pretty simple because there was really one or two configurations for the front of uh, K3s had a little bit wider, you know, wheel on them, but uh, you had one or two for the front and then you had basically one cooling cone for the rear with, with the rim size that they used. So it was made for a specific wheel center and a specific outer rim is how they were done. And they were, they were laid up and they, they worked pretty well for that. Later they developed the, the um, injection molded parts that, that had a tubular base that could be cut and pop riveted to adjust to a variety of applications.
0: Right. Right. Um, so as modern times have gone on and we started getting into the 2000s and, you know, everybody started, everybody has a wheel company now. So, <laughs> you know, you've got BBS kind of at the king of the mountain then you've got everybody else just basically copying designs and their cast wheels from China and they break and everything else. How do you guys, obviously you don't like it, how do you feel about all these wheel companies coming up that are basically taking the, the classic basket weave designs and other designs you guys have done and just straight up stealing
2: the designs? Well, it's a curse and a blessing. So, you know, you can have a design patent, like for the original RS wheel, you can have a design patent. It's good for 14 years. And our, we have a number of designs that have gone way past 14 years. So once you get to the 14 year mark, somebody can copy the look of something. They can't use our logo, obviously, because that's when our attorneys get involved. but as far as the design goes, the design is open after 14 years. Hmm. So they've, people have pushed that envelope sometimes a little more than we'd like, but that's just kind of how it goes. We, we look at it, we inspire a lot of companies along the way. So, um, <laughs> right. you know, It's, it's, it's cheap for somebody to copy something, but you can't, you can't engineer, you can't copy engineering. You can't take it to our level of product. And, and be effective in the marketplace because they're trying to, to basically bring out something at a low price point. Sure. So right. they're using basic technologies to try and produce a wheel as cheap as they can to make money with it. This is like
0: the opposite uh, of your guys' business plan. <laughs> right. So,
2: so it, a, a classic wheel is like the LM wheel, a two piece LM wheel. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of copies, one piece copies, cast, cheap, ass wheels, basically, but they're (laughs) they're not, they're not good quality. And you're copying a forged product and you're putting it into a cast environment Hmm. and it just doesn't work.
0: Right. So a
2: lot of those things have problems along the way. Um, The the sad thing is there's times where people call us up telling us that they've had a a problem with a BBS wheel (laughs) <laughs> only to find out it's somebody's replica.
1: Right. Wow. Right. Yeah, you can copy so, form, but you can't always copy the function yeah, of it. Right. right. For sure. Can't
2: copy engineering. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. Yeah. So, so basically what you do is
3: you just continue to evolve the product and, and continue to move forward. And and sometimes you're going into a place where others aren't capable of going yet. or You know, we can't go. Uh, one example is the FIR wheel. That we have, sure. Uh, that's an aluminum wheel and is quite light. I mean, if you want the lightest, yeah, we have magnesium as well. Uh, I mean, we have a we have a road rated twenty by nine wheel in magnesium for the Porsche nine nine one GT three. It's under fifteen pounds. Wow! So if you want really <laughs> light, you can have it. But this is a wheel that's not just light. It's so. developed for, you know, road application, um, you know, and, and passes our internal stringent standards and all that stuff. But we have an aluminum wheel now that's really, really close to that. It's only, I mean, Craig can correct me, but I think maybe it's a, a two pounds. Two pounds, yeah. Uh, two, uh, two pounds a wheel less. Wow. That's an area that people can't, you know, they're not, it can't be we have holes in the spokes.
1: I was going to say, the uh, FIR yeah. has the little window in the actual spoke, right? right? Uh, that right. was the right. coolest right. detail right. when I saw that the first time.
3: Well, that's also a problem because Craig asked the engineer, what do you do now? <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> it's just you know so optimized I don't know.
1: You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Where do you go from there? Right. <laughs>
2: but, but the, the F I R wheel is kind of a good example. We had, we had a wheel called the F I wheel and that was the, the pre the first version of before the F I R was developed. Sure. And the F I wheel is a design that we did back in 2007 and Then we we actually took it full on in the market in 2008 into 2009. But that's the wheel that was copied by everybody and their brother in the marketplace. I mean, I don't care if it's cast or forged or whatever. Everybody copied that to a point where it was really kind of disgusting. You know, it got to be a little (laughs) bit beyond what we would expect. And And there's
0: almost nothing you can do about it. It's just so everywhere.
2: I mean, a little bit, but then it's like, okay, we have to come up with something that that they can't just copy. And so that's when sure. the sa- same engineer who does all the F1 stuff and the 919 and all these things, he's the one who developed the FIR wheel. And he said, you know, this is, this is pretty unique. And so that requires a tremendous amount of engineering and know-how. And that's not what our competitors are typically known for. Right. At that level. <laughs> well, you have
0: to keep in so mind I mean, that anybody buying a hundred dollar BBS LM they're not i mean <laughs> it's not your it's not your target market anyway right, right. no
2: it's not our guy not our guy but, so but i want to i mean, want to ask
1: you guys you know you talk about the forging process and the casting process and i kind of take for granted chris and i are big nerds here but for some of our listeners who might not know the intricacies of what these technologies and processes are you guys are the ones to explain it so can you maybe explain a little bit what the difference is so a, a cast wheel is
2: you know taking taking a molten alloy, right? And you, and it's, it's liquid and you either pressurize it into a mold or you gravity pour it into a mold or, but somehow you're basically getting it into a a pool that's the wheel design that then, then you, from there you do the machining and everything else. But you're basically dealing with a, with a, a liquid alloy, poured alloy, where a forged product, you're dealing with a solid billet of material that's heated and then we use, you know, presses between sixty five hundred tons to nine thousand tons <laughs> to, to force that into whatever we want it to be, basically. But the 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 difference, you know, with a with a poured alloy, you have porosity, right? Which is the which is the
1: as it cools the,
2: the sure. bad thing, sure. bad part of this. And so there's different technologies and processes to minimize porosity. And so the, the more porosity you can get out of something, the more dense the material is and the better the properties are going to be. So if you think about a sponge, right, We sure. have a sponge. And if you take that and you compress that sponge, you basically remove the porosity, let's call it the air pockets that are inside right. there. And, and so that's like flow forming of a rim, the spinning of a cast wheel. When you flow form a rim section, you basically change the mechanical properties of that rim. So you take a cast alloy that has some porosity in it, but you're using a, the three steel rollers under over some steel mandrel tooling that basically squeezes out everything that's porosity-oriented, and you get down to um, a mechanical property that's more more in line with a forged wheel. So wow, what you're saying is these wheels aren't slippery. sandcasted. <laughs> no, no, no that's we really... haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, we, I we, we used to use some sandcast magnesium products um, years and years ago, but no, it's, it's all about better technologies and moving forward. In the early days for BBS, we were, we were only a racing company. We didn't make any street wheels. Sure. They were asked, about building wheels for streetcars. Well, BBS in Germany, they did not own a foundry. They had the, all the machining and testing and all of that stuff, but they didn't have a foundry in the early days. So uh, Malle in Germany used to do our castings. So oh. the the earliest cast wheels from BBS said Malle BBS on the outer lip of them.
0: I have a hose reel that's got one of those wheels. <laughs> really? Yeah. I wrap my air hose around one of those.
2: So that's, so that's probably like... Eighty-three or earlier sure. with a Mali wheel, and so BBS when they started doing their own casting, they looked at better than just a standard casting of the day. They went to a counter pressure cast system, which, which was to help make a denser a denser load of material in the mold and and reduce porosity. It was the concept behind it, sure. and so BBS you know went to this this casting process and. Uh, but so you're you're always looking for you know something better, right? A better mousetrap, always.
0: Right. Yeah. And I wish we had more time, but we're probably going to have to uh, we're going to have to leave it at that. How can someone get a hold of you guys if they want to build a set of wheels? Where can they find you?
3: Oh, you can just go uh, racing at bbs usacom or just go right through our website, which is bbs usacom dot com, and um, you know just reach out directly to racing if you. Uh, if you call us there, there's only two of us in the department. Uh, you just ask for Eric or Zach. It's uh, 770-967-9574. And you're going to get me or Zach. There's nobody else there. Uh, <laughs> and we're both uh, fairly knowledgeable with the product. and been there a long time. And then, like I said, we, we're going to do everything and cater to you, you know, try to cater to your needs and build as, as you require.
0: I love that. And I, I can't thank you guys enough for spending time with us. I've always, like I, like I've said, I'm a huge fan of BBS. I've run, I'm, oh my God, so many (laughs) pairs of RSs and RMs and a couple of motorsport (laughs) wheels. And I just, I really appreciate what you guys do. And I I appreciate that you guys really carry the torch for some of that vintage stuff that you were talking about too. That is, that's really cool. I appreciate it.
3: Well, if you ever travel, you can still buy brand new E50s. Yeah, I saw that. That's,
0: that's phenomenal. amazing. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely phenomenal.
2: Well, if, if, if you're ever in the neighborhood next to Atlanta there, just uh, stop in and we can take you through the a, a tour of our our kind of archive area where we have a lot of interesting old things that we still have uh, in boxes up there.
0: Well, I don't need another excuse yeah. to go I to Atlanta. Say, careful, says- going <laughs> to He's going he's gonna to hold you through that. I'm sure we'll oh, see yeah. you at some point, guys.
2: Okay. That'd be great. We look forward to it. All right. You. All right take care, guys.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Jake, that was incredible. That was awesome. I love BBS so much. It's such a great company. And they've been, what's, what's really cool is that they've really stuck to their roots of what they do. Right. And for, for many, many years, it's just been this is what we do. Like you hear them say, yeah. this is what we do. We it make was the them, motorsport but, first. Yeah, motorsport first. And we make one type of product and it is the best type of product. And it's often copied, never duplicated, you know, right? Yeah, so exactly. Um, and just the history behind it too. that's so cool it is it is very cool well guys leave us a five-star review on itunes if you could Um, write a few words about us that really 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 would help us out Um, i hope you enjoy uh, i hope you guys will take the time to head over to overcrest.com slash rally 2019 so you can check the rally out yep Um, you can apply to be on the rally there i think that's all we got for you for now Um, we'll see you guys next week take care Yep. <laughs> <laughs>